0: Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm David Wilson I am joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, what's going on? What's
1: up, David? Just uh, days removed from our trip to Atlanta. It was fun. It was a fun trip, but for Hurricanes fans, it was the game was not so fun. Those, those three hours went about, I think, just as we expected, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, uh, I know Miami fans were obviously, uh, it seemed like the closer that we got to the game, uh, the more optimistic Miami fans got. Um, I was kind of the opposite where it was like the closer we got to that game, I was like, you know, they're just not going to be able to block Alabama. They're, they're not going to be able to get a pass rush against Alabama. And, uh, those, uh, played out kind of pretty similarly to, uh, how I expected it to, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, my take, I don't know if it's a controversial take, but I, I if I'm a Hurricane fan, I, I come out of that week more encouraged about the Hurricanes' chances of maybe getting to Charlotte or even winning the ACC just That's because I, the yeah, ACC I, I did not look so great. Because
0: of the North Carol, strictly because of the North Carolina result.
1: Correct. You're right. FSC looked probably better than, than most expected. Yeah. Clemson, I mean, you can't – I mean,
0: Virginia Tech obviously looked better than people expected, but I, I, I think there was – um, you know, the fact that North Carolina was the team that, like, was thought of it in the same tier as Miami. And, and right. uh, you know, they might still yeah. be, obviously. But uh, there there was a concern that North Carolina was going to be the clear number two team in the ACC. And, and uh, I think if I'm a Miami fan, I come out of that saying that number two is uh, a more wide open. Like, it, it's going to be easier to be number two than it probably was. For Might sure. be more competitive in that, like, three through five range than we thought. But uh, as far as number two, um, you know, I, again, like, because nothing really surprised me that happened with Miami on Saturday, the, the North Carolina result is encouraging.
1: Right. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting to watch. I think it was on the night before the Miami yeah, game. Yeah, Friday night. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a, I mean, it was, a, I guess, not a great weekend for Miami. But in that regard, it was not a bad weekend just because to have North Carolina – lose is is good for Miami
0: yeah yeah they'll have uh and you know Manny Diaz will have plenty of opportunities to uh show whether this season whether he's the guy or not he'll have plenty of seasons to screw up badly enough to to really freak out
1: yeah losing by 30 to Alabama I don't think you know not not optimal but no need to overreact to that one I think most a lot of teams will lose by 30 to Alabama they they're like playing a different sport it seems yeah
0: Speaking of overreacting, would you like to overreact to uh, Tyler Hero's Instagram post from today? Yeah, he looks morning. like.
1: Morning? Yeah, that Instagram post looks like he's put on like 40 pounds of muscle. But yeah. I don't think that's probably true. That's
0: probably not that's true. That's probably
1: physically impossible. Um, but a
0: very flattering picture, I think, of his uh, biceps.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we do this every offseason. It's not just yeah. basketball. I mean, I think we were doing this with Tua uh, this offseason as well. Like, all it takes is one good angle, some good lighting. And We've
0: all been there.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've all, even, yeah, you and me probably have those photos <laughs> that were like, well, I like this photo. makes me look bigger yeah. than I than I actually am. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not saying, Tyler's obviously put on muscle and put on weight. I mean, that's been one of his biggest goals this offseason. Um, we spoke with him in mid, I think it was like mid-July or so, and he, he said his goal was to put on 10 to 12 pounds of, of muscle, and he had already added four pounds at that point, and that was like a month and a half ago. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not unrealistic. I think he's put on close to 10 pounds this offseason at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's bigger, um, but that that picture makes it seem like he, you know, like I said, he's put on a ton, you know, more than that. Um, but, I, you know, it's good. It's it's a good sign because I think we all know that Tyler needed to, to kind of get stronger physically, just, you know, and that'll help him on both ends, especially defensively when he gets switched onto bigger players and even defending guards, like just being able to physically uh, match up with them. Like th- that's going to help. And then offensively, it'll help his game too, just getting to the – Getting into the paint, you know, playing through contact. Um, one of the things he's talked about is is drawing more fouls and getting more, you know, more free throw attempts. Which you know, he, I think he averaged like two last year, two free throw attempts a game. He should probably get, be getting like four or five a game, honestly, with with the way, with how much he has the ball in his hands and, and mm-hmm. the shot attempts he takes. And you know, that that can make that could be the difference between averaging fifteen points and twenty points, really, when you think about right. it, because he is a good free throw shooter. So it is important for him to add muscle. Um, I'm sure he's added muscle, but that picture probably uh, makes it seem like he's out of more than he has.
0: Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about the guys who were second-year players last year, so going into their third year now, and, um, you know, the fact that they basically did not have an off season for. I mean, obviously some guys did if they didn't make the playoffs or whatever between their uh, rookie and sophomore seasons. Um, and so Tyler has not had – you know, obviously they had the long break during COVID, but um, – you know, guys weren't treating that like an off-season program, right? Like everyone was out there, you know, didn't know when the season was going to resume, right? So it's not like you're going to like spend your your time during that break bulking, um. You know, you're because you know you don't want your body to totally change, and then all of a sudden you have to go out and play, and you're not used to what you're built like, and and obviously just um, skill. I think I think Tyler. And most guys were probably spending more time doing skill work when they can. You heard about so many guys getting basketball hoops at their homes and all that kind of stuff. Um, this was finally like his first NBA offseason, and that was that. That's the time when you can really kind of start to transform your body when you have when you kind of know your when you know your schedule, right? When you know you don't have to play a game for X months, um, and you can get on like a program on a routine and, and know, you know, at a certain point you got to start getting back into, like, game shape. And uh, so I I think it'll be good. I've thought all along that uh, this was going to be a really productive offseason for Tyler. Or I shouldn't say that it was going to be a productive offseason, but, like, if he was going to, like, take the leap that I think we all think he can, uh, this was going to be the chance to do it. And we're going to learn a lot about uh, his true long-term potential this coming season
1: yeah and, and Tyler made that point again, when we spoke with him in July, like this is his first real off season, yeah, um, because yeah, to your point, like yeah, they had that long break, you know, during when the season was suspended a couple of years ago, or I guess it was last year, <laughs> kind of crazy um but yeah, and and but that was different. I mean, gyms were closed, guys really couldn't do much. They're working out at their houses or and maybe if they can find an open gym somewhere locally, but it's just not the same as a real offseason where you're getting pickup games in and you're working out with a trainer every day and you have this red, you know, strict regimen that you're following. And So it, this is really Tyler's first real NBA offseason. And, you know, you look at what the jump he made, even despite all that, in, during that, that time when, when the season was suspended, he came back to the bubble kind of almost like a different player. It's seemed right. like you, you hope that he makes another jump like that, um, you know, entering his third NBA season, which – yeah, like I said, we'll see. It's gonna—he's an important player because you know they don't really don't have a, a backup point guard. I'm not saying Collie's gonna play point guard, like strictly point guard, but he'd probably be using the role somewhat. And, and if he could fill that that spot, like that'll be that'll be pretty big for the C team.
0: Yeah, he's uh he's a guy like you said that they're gonna need. Um, we're gonna get to Chris Bosh's uh Hall of Fame induction uh in a little bit here uh but one other piece of news before we get there uh Mike English retiring um obviously a uh you know big outpouring from from Heat Nation about him uh following his announcement yesterday no replacement named yet and he said he will uh or the team said he will come back for one broadcast next year to kind of say farewell to to Heat fans uh Anthony you've uh, obviously grown up around the heat. You know, quite frankly, I have not listened to him that much on the radio because I'm usually at the games or watching on TV. You know, I think the radio broadcasters are uh, really important to to people who kind of grow up in the, you know, when you're younger and you're in the car or whatever and maybe listening to the game or, um, you know, I I think for the beat writers, it's maybe a little uh, harder to listen to them all the time. Uh, But I guess just your reaction to that news.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's – like you say, he's, he's basically been the the radio announcer my entire life. Yeah. Within, since I, you know, since I really started watching sports, um, 23 years. That means he took over as the radio voice for the Heat when I was like eight or nine years old. Yeah. Um. So that's basically all I know. Like growing up in Miami and listening to the Heat on the radio, like his voice, you know. Um. And his voice will be, you know, forever attached to so many of the Heat's, um, big moments. Um, you know, parade down Biscayne Boulevard. He's called all three championship seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously the entire Big Three era. Um, so you know his voice is, (laughs) it's gonna be we're gonna hear you know forever when it comes like heat highlights and just important moments uh, in franchise history. And you know he was just the thing that made the the thing that set Mike and Liz apart to me. And obviously he's a polished broadcaster that goes without saying. But he was always so real, right? Like he was not afraid to criticize the team. And and even though he's, you know, he, he works for the team and, and all that, like he, he was not afraid to, to really be honest and say, you know, and call out things that were going wrong. It, it's just so fun. I know so many people made this joke on Twitter when this news came out yesterday, um, but you'd get in the car and, and, you know, you hear you turn on Mike Inglis and he makes it seem like the heater losing by 40 points, you know? And then he yeah. says the score and it's like the heater up by 10, but the other team just on like in a 5-0 run. Like he was so he was so emotional and passionate. Um, and, I, I, you know, that's that's one thing I always remember about Mike and, and you know, kind of laugh about just because it, it, that was often. Where you get in the car and you think the heater losing by 20 just because of the way he's he's talking and, and speaking and how upset he is and the heater up by 15.
0: Yeah. And the thing I like about the, the radio broadcasters is those guys are there for like every moment, right? Like, you know, right. and then. The TV guys, you know, there's certain games in the regular season that they don't do, right? If it's on TNT or whatever, sometimes it'll be, like, blacked out. Local, like, the the one at the rights, and obviously the playoffs, uh, it all goes to ABC and all that um, eventually. So I I like the radio guys. They're really the guys who are, like, it seems like those biggest moments, like, when ESPN or someone's doing, like, a documentary and they superimpose the uh, call, like, the announcers over it, it, it tends to be the radio guys, um, and so, you know, he, he obviously, like you said, gets to be, a, a gets to be the voice that kind of narrates a lot of those big moments.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it'll be, you know, I, I, I don't know if we expected this news, but, you know, I'm happy for Mike and, you know, he's obviously had a long and a uh, very successful career. So congratulations, Mike, if you're listening to this
0: and happy retirement. All right, uh, let's dive in now to our main topic of the week. Uh, you are off this week, but you, you you came on to do an episode this week because it is a Chris Bosh Hall of Fame uh, induction time. Um, I guess so you talk to him. Uh, I think you'll have a story up by the time most people are listening to this. Um, I haven't read your story or anything yet, obviously. So what, what was that conversation like? What, what, how is how's, how's Chris feeling? Um, obviously, I'm sure excited. Um, what would you guys kind of talk about what 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 does this moment uh mean to him and obviously the heat
1: yeah i haven't even actually finished the story yet so okay i'm um, <laughs> still working on it but it'll be
0: out it'll be out probably yeah like you
1: said by the time most people listen to this yeah. um but yeah i you know one of the big things we talked about is just kind of like the what if that still runs through his head if he would right. have still kept playing like he, he made a point of saying like i he thought he would still be playing by now. Like this might this might have been like his final NBA season. He thought he would be playing until he was like 37 or 38. Um, he's 37 now. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: he's gonna be one of the youngest players or people to be inducted into the basketball hall of fame. Um, because of you know how early his career ended. Mm-hmm. Um, which says something right there. Um, and yeah, he was just you know he brought up it was funny like he brought up Carmelo Anthony. He said you know I always envisioned myself like late in my career just because of you know, how I incorporated a three point shot into my game, you know, toward the end of, you know, his playing career, um, that he would kind of have like a Carmelo Anthony role, like what Carmelo's going to be with the Lakers this year, like a spot up shooter, spacer, um, you know, guy who could hold his own defensively. still at that age and kind of like a role player, you know, on a winning team. Um, and here he is, you know, preparing for his enshrinement to the fame, which is not a bad alternative, uh, but it's just not what he expected. But, you could tell that he's at peace, you know, you know, I know it took him until like 2019 to announce his retirement, but he, you know, he, he emphasized again, like he's at peace, you know, the, the what ifs that still run through his head. Like he, he does it kind of, um, you know, doesn't really take it seriously. It's more just like, just kind of for fun. He said kind of, that, that was the words he used like just for fun, just to kind of see how he would have fit in today's game. And, and he knows, and, and you and I both know just from, you know, Kind of watching Chris Bosh over the years, like he would have fit in today in today's NBA, and I think that's that was probably the most frustrating thing for him. Like he saw the the way the game was progressing, and he knew that he could really excel into today's NBA. Uh, probably more was more so than he did in the NBA he first entered in 2003, 2004. Like this NBA is so much better suited to his game, um, but unfortunately, he just never got that opportunity.
0: Yeah, obviously the game shifted to him, but I think he also kind of shifted yeah. the game, right? Like, yeah. those teams, obviously everyone thinks of the Warriors as the team that really innovated. And obviously they did. They kind of took it, I don't want to say to the extreme, because I think the Rockets took it to the extreme uh to the point that people didn't like it. But the Warriors were the team that finally went all in on on three-point shooting, obviously, and, and small ball and all that kind of stuff. But the Heat um were... In a lot of ways, the pioneers of it not the, they not the—they were kind of the—I'm sure there were—you know—you could probably point to a bunch of different teams that were trying to do similar things. But the Heat, because of the talent they had, uh, were the team that kind of started it and, and made it popular and made it a, a winning formula. Um, you know, obviously Le, LeBron and Wade were not the shooters, but the way that they played, with basically putting a bunch of shooters around those guys, and, and Chris Bosh was uh, pivotal to that. He was—you know—the idea of having three. Three good three three to four good three point shooters on the floor at any time and not sacrificing defense. Chris Bosch is obviously central to that as a guy who was uh one of the best defensive big men in the league and also uh became a reliable three point shooter as his career went on and, and a floor spacer. Um and he set the, the template for a lot a lot of uh, big men obviously that followed him and have made the league look like what it is today. Um When when you talk about the what if and and the idea of him being a a role player uh, until now, which obviously you know I I agree with that, I think he would probably still be a a pretty useful guy right now, playing twenty minutes a game off the bench for someone. Um, But the the thing that we really missed out on seeing, and I don't want to say we missed out on entirely, because obviously early in his career in Toronto he was the guy, but you know his career obviously ended pretty much right after the big three came apart and we never got a chance to see what a team looked like with Chris Bosh as a top two player. Once he, once he fully figured himself up again right. in Toronto, he obviously was the guy, but in Miami he became the Chris Bosh that obviously most people uh, remember. And the Heat's plans after LeBron left were to have Chris Bosh elevate from being the number three guy to, the number two guy or honestly, maybe given you know how, how quickly Dwayne Wade kind of started to fall off after the Big Three, uh, you know, their number one guy and again, we just never got to see it. Um, it is it is the ultimate what if of his career and probably and maybe the heat just period is, is what that team would have looked like, the Bosch led heat um of you know, twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen or whenever we would have kind of seen that that post Big Three era. Would they have been able to to compete with the Cavaliers? Who knows? Uh, but you know, I, I think they certainly would have been. You know, the the Cavs one of the, one of the defining things I think of that era of the NBA that just saw basically the Warriors and Cavs going at it for, for four years, basically. Right? Was that the Cavs really did not have a uh, a Really steady challenger in the East. Obviously, you know, the Hawks made it a couple of times.
1: Yeah, Toronto.
0: Toronto made it. Um, obviously, Boston had the uh, the uh, Isaiah Thomas team. But these were all kind of just like flash in the pans or, or teams that clearly were deeply flawed. Um, and the Heat, again, I don't know if they ever would have beaten that Cavs team. Obviously, when you have Bosh and Wade, your roster, like, they would have had a lot of moving pieces on the fringes. But... uh they would have been one of the challengers certainly, and would have maybe been the biggest challenger to LeBron in the East. And we, and we missed—you know—that would have been one of the most fun little rivalries in the league, right? If you get yeah. Cavs Heat in the East Finals uh, three years in a row or whatever, yeah. there would have been some of the most fun games in the NBA. And, and uh, not only did we not get to see what Chris would have been as the lead guy or the number two guy, but we missed out on—you know—it was one of one of the biggest flaws of that era was was kind of caused by. Uh, Bosh's unfortunate uh, medical issues.
1: Yeah, and I think specifically like that 2015-16 season, that 2016 playoff run, uh, he made without Bosh. Yeah. were you know took took Toronto to, to seven games in that second round. They were one win away from the conference finals. If they had Bosh, they probably you know obviously we don't know. It's like a what if, but they probably would have won that series. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident just because they were one win away without Chris Bosh. If you have a healthy Chris Bosh, they probably win that series and they face Cleveland in that conference finals. And I know a lot of people within the Heat. I've spoken to people about this. Feel and this is—I mean, other people have reported this too. Like they feel like they really could have challenged Cleveland with Bosh, with Chris Bosh, like you said. Like I think they feel like they really matched up well against them, and they could have really given them a good series, um, but it just never happened. And, and, and the other what if is. Goran. I mean, they traded for Goran. Everyone was happy. The possibilities of Goran and Chris Bosh pick picking roles, and then, like, hours later, right. uh, you know, Chris gets, you know, the first blood clot issue pops up, and, and, and things kind of, everything changes, you know? And I know Goran and Chris got to play a little bit the following season before Chris went on again because of blood clots, um, but it just we just never got to see it for a sustained stretch. And I just think that that like duo could have been so effective, especially when you have like Dwayne Wade, like the slashing Dwayne Wade there as well. And I mean, think about it. Like they had also a Josh Richardson, they had Justice Winslow, they had Lou um, they had uh, Hassan Whiteside. Like they had just gotten him, and he was kind of coming into his own. Uh, Tyler Johnson, like they had a pretty decent team, um, especially if, if you have a trio of Goron. Chris and, and Dwayne leading the way. Like that that team really could have done something, but we just never got to see it.
0: All right, should we wrap up by uh talking about some of our uh favorite Chris Bosch moments? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Uh I mean I think we all know number one, obviously, is the uh the rebound, right? That has, that has, that's gonna be like the first thing or maybe like the kicker on like his highlight reels that they show, basically, right? Like his yeah. He is the second most important part of the biggest play in franchise history.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I, I think the, that like two game stretch. I want to say it was in the 2013 finals. You know when when he made that when Ray Allen made that shot.
0: We well, wow. Remember, right. it during, we rewatched. That's uh, right. We watched it. Right. And he had that, that, the, yeah. and he the key block. Really, two key blocks down the stretch. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's the the famous one in the in the corner on um, blanking who the, the block was against. Danny but Green. Up. Is it Danny Green? Yeah. And th- then he has another one uh, at the – I don't know if it's a block or he just, like, kind of shuts down a play at the top of the key at the very end. So, you know, his – everyone remembers the rebound, but like you said, those, those two games, basically, um, or really game six, he was uh, one of the biggest reasons they won that game.
1: Yeah, that rebound and the assist, and yeah, I mean, he only had ten points, but he just he did so many other things, and I, I just remember those that two game stretch because the next game, Game Seven, after that huge rebound, the assist to Ray Allen, Game Seven of the NBA Finals, yeah, Chris Bosh scores zero points.
0: Right, it's the big, he has the biggest play of his career, maybe the single biggest reason he's in the Hall of Fame is what happens in Game Six. Um, you know that he probably has to win, have to win two championships in that stretcher like I think that era is really thought of as a disappointment and maybe Chris Bosch is thought of as a totally different kind of player um so big you know probably the biggest reason or one of the biggest reasons in the Hall of Fame happens and then uh literally seconds of game time later yeah obviously a couple of days later but you know we're, it's the final seconds of game six and then we go to game seven and uh like you said he uh is invisible basically but that, yeah, that I was, think the biggest the biggest critique you kind of see against him when people are talking about his Hall of Fame worthiness is this guy scored zero points in Game Seven of the NBA Finals.
1: Yeah, but that that was him though. Like I'm not saying scoring zero points, but he just <laughs> he had to sacrifice so much as part of that big three. Like there, you know, he was a guy that averaged twenty plus points a game in Toronto, was the number one option. He goes to the Heat. Obviously, Dwayne Wayne and LeBron are the are the focal points of the offense. And Chris Bosch has to really become more of a spot-up shooter and just get his where, you know, where he can. But, you know, he wasn't the one of the, you know, he wasn't one of the top two options. I mean, that was obviously LeBron and Dwayne. Um, so that was different for him. And, you know, he admitted during the time, like, that it was hard. Like, he didn't realize it would be so hard to kind of play that role. But by the end of his time with the Heat or during that big three era, like, he had kind of perfected it. Like, he was, he, he just, you could tell he just didn't care about his numbers at that point. Like, he was just going to do whatever it took to win, whether it was for 20 points one game or five points the other game. He was just so important on both ends just because of the space he provided LeBron and Dwayne. And also defensively, he kind of made it, he made the defense go just because of the way he was able to trap pick and rolls and step out and get back and just how mobile he was as a big at that point. Um, and he could switch onto different players. He, he really made a lot of what the heat like did at that time uh, work because of his skill set.
0: Any other uh, any other moments you think of specifically when you think of Christmas? <sighs> so much of it boils down to that game. Yeah, you know, but are there others you, uh, you you think about?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a time I think it was it might have been in like 2011 or twenty It might have been 2012 actually. I'm I'm sorry, this is off the top of my head, but he had missed like a round or two because of uh I think it was like he, he strained his abdom his abdominal muscle. Um, and he came back, I believe, in the conference finals. I think it was the first championship run, so that would have been 2012. Um, And he came back in the conference finals against the Celtics, and I remember that's when he kind of started taking a bunch of threes, you know, partly because he was not 100%. He was coming back from an an injury, and he made a lot of them. Like, uh, he, he was so important when he came back into that series, and um, I believe that was when they, you know, that was the, the series where they were down 3-2 to the Celtics. And LeBron had that, you know, incredible game six and, and the Heat then won game seven at home. Um, and then they obviously ended up winning their first championship. But Chris yeah. Bosh was so important to kind of helping turn that series, you know, with his return from that injury. Um, other, other, other games that stick out off the top of my head, just when he was shorthanded without LeBron, and Dwayne, like, that, those are some games that really stick out because right. like, you got to see, like, the, the the greatness of Chris, like, when he's has the ball in his hands more and is the number one option. You know, there were times where he, like, you know, I remember against Portland, like, he had a big three to kind of to win the game. And, again, against Atlanta and Atlanta, without those two, he had a few big threes to kind of send the game into overtime. Like, there were so many moments where when he was playing by himself and, and, and Dwayne and, and LeBron were out, where he stepped up and you kind of saw, okay, Chris is actually, can actually still do this. Uh, we just don't see it because he doesn't have to do this.
0: Yeah. Um, I think you've also got to mention the video bombs, right? It's such a big part of oh, the. Oh, yeah, life. Too.
1: Yeah, for um, sure.
0: Obviously the most famous one where he kind of like pops up from the bottom of the uh, the frame while LeBron's being interviewed. Um, neither of us were around this team, but it seems like he was uh, a huge part of the chemistry, right? Like. I I think of, you know, as someone who was not in Miami at the time, but obviously that team was the center of sports discourse. Uh, LeBron, or Chris Bosh, it felt like was always getting so much hate, like as the third guy, right? As just this, like, this guy who was uh, tagging along for these championships with LeBron and Wade, Um, even though I think people kind of forget that by the fourth uh, finals run, Bosh was kind of better than Wade. Um, but I, I always I always liked Bosch because people were kind of like hard on him and I didn't, never thought it was fair. Um, but he was, you know, every every big three needs the guy who kind of sacrifices, right? And um, Bosch did that probably better than anyone, considering how good he was. Um, you know, the, obviously LeBron and Wade were clearly the the top two because they were two of the top five players in the league when they teamed up. But, um, you know, Chris Bosh is basically as good a third piece as you could find in a big three. And, again, he was uh, perfectly fine with kind of being the guy to, to take a step back, even when, um, yeah, I ultimately probably helped his legacy. But like I said, you know, if they don't win two championships, it probably hurts his legacy. He's, you know, obviously he was – Always the guy in trade rumors. When when they lost to Dallas, he was the guy who was, do they need to upgrade Chris Bosh? But, um, you know, he was always better, I think, than he than the numbers showed, obviously, and people came to realize that as, as his career went on. Um, but I, I always liked that he was the guy who really understood how this thing needed to work um, and made it work, and he did that both on the court. And, again, like it seems like that those teams – at least from the outside, seemed to have very good chemistry in a situation where there were a lot of moments when things could have gotten ugly, and I have to assume Chris Bosch was a huge part of that.
1: For sure. And and a couple other moments to stick on now that I have a, a couple more, more time to think about it. Um, the 2011 finals, um, when they lost, and he kind of crumpled onto the ground in, in tears, um, and, and that was kind of made into this big thing and people, he was getting a lot of criticism for that, for crying and, and, you know, how things were at that yeah. point with social media and first take and everything Um that, that was, that was made into a big um kind of talking point. And that, that to me was, you know, not a defining moment of Chris's career, but that's something that I always remember just because he, like you said, he, he kind of took the criticism in stride and, and never really made it about him, even though he was kind of the focal point of a lot of, of the criticism around that team. Um, and then they won the championship the next year. Um, you you kind of saw like just how much he cared and how, and the stress of that big three and all the, all the attention that team got, like you saw it in that moment. So I thought that was something that, I think that's something that, uh, you know, will always kind of be in my mind. And also, you know, people forget that there was a falling out between Chris and the heat in 2016 right. when his career came to an end and, he wanted to keep playing and the Heat were like, you know, we can't take that risk. Like, we, you got to be, you got to be careful. You know, you, we don't want any, you know, life-threatening illness to, you know, to to happen or, or anything like that. So that, that was something that, you know, it was ugly. Like, it was ugly at the time. I remember I had first got, that was like my first experience on the beat. I had just got, like, started covering the team and I was dealing with that. And that was, you know, that was not pretty. Um, but, you know, fast forward five years, and, and Pat Riley is one of the presenters of, of you know, Chris Bosh's, you know, enshrinement. So, you know, that's that's good that things obviously were smoothed over, and, you know, Chris's number is now retired. You know, right. Yeah, I coming back to the retirement yeah. ceremony, it was, uh, well, yeah. that was I guess, 20... 2019.
0: 2019. 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, you know, that was obviously a... It, it felt like a big moment, obviously. Um, you know, we knew his Hall of Fame induction was coming up in the next couple of years. Um, as you mentioned, the, the strained relationship between the Heat, um, and then he, you know, he comes back and gets that hero's welcome that, um, you know, again, he was always seemed to be much more beloved in Miami, obviously, than he was in, uh, kind of the, uh, larger NBA world. I think people came to appreciate Bosch, obviously, as things went on, especially when his career, uh, abruptly ended. Um, but, yeah, him getting that chance to come back to Miami to get his jersey retired and, and kind of set us up for, for where we are going uh, now with him going into the Hall of Fame as a beloved Heat hero and, and with him, um, you know, still back kind of feeling like he's a part of that Heat family.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to his speech, too, because I, I, I know you were there, too, David, but his speech for the jersey retirement was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so he's I'm obviously looking- a very, you know, when you – Think about, like, you know, he's he's up there with, like, the great, like, cerebral, good talker NBA people. Like, and, you know, part of it is maybe we've gotten to see it more because of how abruptly his career ended. And, you know, a lot of times when guys have a full career and they retire, they want to kind of recede into the spotlight. he obviously retired young and had a lot of stuff he still wanted to, like, he was still young. Yeah. Up, like, he was not done working. Um, so, we, you know, you saw him dive into a bunch of different ventures, and obviously, uh, you know, he did, like, some eSports stuff and, you know, does all these podcasts, basically, and, you know, he's he's just like a very – he's been a very public persona for the last couple of years, and, and you've gotten to see, like, the full picture of him that, again, you don't get to see a lot when guys are playing and they're more guarded, and then a lot of times when they're done playing, they wanna they want to recede. So he was in that sweet spot, I think, where for a – true like superstar NBA player we got to really learn a lot about him and and kind of see him unguarded
1: yeah I think now it's like he plays the the guitar a lot and he's really into making music and he was brewing beers at one point and kind of had his own home brewery and he's obviously wrote a
0: book book, Yeah. yeah
1: father of five which is obviously a huge part of his life which every time I talk with him he's that's like when I ask him how he's doing he's like well I'm father first, and that takes up most of my time. And I'm sure it does, a father of five, like, that's yeah. a lot. So, yeah, I mean, good, you know, I, I know Chris wasn't happy that he wasn't a first Ballot Hall of Famer, and, you know, I think he probably should have been, honestly. But circumstances were kind of, you know, they were unique at that point because, you know, it was Kobe's year, and, and, and Kobe, unfortunately, had just passed, and that, that class uh, they wanted to keep it small, and, and then the pandemic. Like it was just, it was kind of a unique circumstances. And he, he probably should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, but look, getting in your second year, there's no shame in that.
0: Yeah, and obviously, um, not, uh, we're not past COVID, but we are in a more normal place than we would have been. Where you know he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and obviously that class, as we, you mentioned, was. Pretty insane and seems pretty clear they wanted to, like, kind of have Kobe and Duncan, like, have that be, like, a special class. Um, But, yeah, getting um, Chris Bosh in there is, uh, obviously, it'll be a a nice little celebration for him and, and again, for the Heat um, and for them together, which I think a couple years ago didn't look like it was going to be guaranteed, basically.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, I don't know for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Dwayne is there, obviously. I mean, Dwayne... He's eligible to be inducted in 2023, so theoretically, I guess he could be announced or voted in next year. Next year, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's probably gonna. I'm guessing he'll go um, this weekend to Massachusetts to be there and kind of, you know, show his face where he's going to be a big part of the next (laughs) the next few years of that of the class that you know that's that's coming up. Um, and you know, will LeBron be there? You know, there'll obviously be another large Heat contingent's going to be there. Um so it, it'll be interesting to see like who's there for Chris and kind of how that all you know, how that all goes this weekend.
0: All right, I think we can wrap things up there. Uh thanks as always for listening. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore chang. Uh, be sure to check out his Chris Chris Bosch story that I'm sure will be good. I'm sure Anthony thinks it will be good. Uh it'll be uh probably up on online by the time most of you guys are listening to this. So uh check out MiamiHerald.com dot com for that. Uh, you, can no even, huh? no uh, you can follow me on Twitter. No pressure, David, No pressure. You can follow me on Twitter, at DBWilson2. Um, busy with football these days, obviously. Um, so, again, just, just check out MiamiHerald.com. we got lots of coverage for you. Dolphins getting started this weekend. Uh, UM home opener on Saturday. Uh, and lots of high school football. So, um, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week.